welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet with the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. This year is 1982, and we are almost done. I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to forego a lot of the uh, pomp and circumstance and rigmarole because this is a bonus show. We're not doing the whole big thing. This is not scored. My friends Greg and Mike can just come on and just be my friends today. And this is important too: be friends with each other for the first time this season, maybe. Thank no. God. no okay. we were fr- oh, so the verdict is in. Greg this, says, fuck th- you to Mike. This episode is a lot like the verdict. Unscored for the most part. You're talking uh, about like a music score. That's a there's movie. not a, a score yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Th- this is like the verdict where there's Maison scene. I can do it as well as Greg. <laughs> uh, well, let me ask you guys this just to start it off, because we do have to talk about the He's phoning it in, Ryan, because this is not a pointed show. Yeah, he He's just not even going to give a shot. I'm best friends for the next year. I, don't I know. The rules, <laughs> but, like. You've cornered the market, and uh, now you're being a fat cat about fun it. Fun fact, Greg. Uh, Mike phones in every show. This is nothing special. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, so let me ask you, what it, what would the score be of the verdict? I, oh, I think I would. I think I would have. I think I would have won by four. Four is a kind of a big victory in this game, Mike. What do you think, Greg? I by four, win by one. You win by one. Okay. Okay. Uh, at the end of this episode, I am going to tell you how you guys would have done if this was scored. How about you tell us who won, but then you don't tell us the score. Yeah. <laughs> you see, you go That'll be that like reserve. the verdict. Where I think can the I last give them more is... points <laughs> than they actually scored for making good points? All right. Well. I guess we should talk about the movie. Let's. I want to get into your guys' feelings up front. Um, this was. This did not make the elite eight. I believe that I was pretty adamant about this going up. Um, this is a movie that I've seen a lot, and I don't know. It always stuck with me really hard. I don't know if it was. If it's ultimately in the top eight of the year, but it's a pretty big deal. I'll start with you, Greg. Uh, first thoughts. Best thoughts. I, if this had made it, it would have had a puncher's chance of winning. It's a really, really good movie. I think that ultimately it it probably, like you said, Ryan, wouldn't have won. But th- we watch a, we do a fair amount of these bonus movies, and sometimes it's just like, oh, we watched that because it gave us color about the year. Or oh, we watched that because it was funny to or, even the idea of doing a show about it. Yeah, exactly. If you were a kid in 82, you, you said that it was good. And you, you even knew that it wasn't when you told us to watch it. But this movie feels like a bracket movie. And uh, not just that it could be in the bracket, but honestly, I think it could have potentially won some matchups and and made a good amount of noise. Very impressive, and I'm really glad I saw it. Mike, when you were were watching it, and we haven't talked at at all about it, none of the three of us until right now. um, Not even texting. We don't don't text about this anymore. Uh, We mostly text about Trump and stuff. Uh, Mike... Did you think this the, the classic hack tag of, oh, yeah, movies for adults? Yes. <laughs> it was. Do you know what was so it's nice? It's like reading The New Yorker. <laughs> is that this wasn't eight episodes. That's uh-huh. what it, the whole time you I was know like, I. The 2022 version of this would be eight fucking episodes. It, it, I haven't watched the Perry Mason reboot yet. That's done. I want to. It's like on the to watch list eventually. But really, I want Topher Grace to just trim those eight episodes and give me the Perry Mason movie. I thoroughly loved this. And do not need fluff. It is a lean movie, and I miss lean adult-based movies. And it leaves a lot for you. It leaves a lot of things like for you to connect, right? Like, or for you to like ponder about. No easy. It doesn't spell. Yeah, it doesn't spell everything out, and so it doesn't have to close every loop. And I think that that gives it a lot of power. So, have movies have taught us we open. He's a piece of shit, and. He's playing pinball. It's like he's gross. still a piece of shit, and yeah. I think modern audiences would not be okay with that. I mean, the original script—they had to talk David Mamet into uh, continuing the movie after the jury went away for deliberation. Yeah, because that's I how have... that's how 1970s this movie wanted to be, and I get a lot of 70s vibe from it, especially yeah. the, you know, uh, I think it's a uh, one of the best screenplays that we'll do all year. But uh, a lot of that, when you're talking about great screenplays, I think most people think about dialogue and then what happens at, like, the minute 22 mark, the minute 68 mark, like, these the important... The cat attempted a screenplay? Right. These important uh, milestones that need to happen, and they need to be big. They need to be soap operatic. And the movie does an incredible job of avoiding that. Mm-hmm. Would the jury not... Would us not knowing about what the jury decided, would that be taking it a step too far? 
No, it, I think it would have been cool, actually. Yeah, it would be fun to chew on and, like, have a pretentious thing to throw in people's face when they're like, end of Inception, pretty cool how you don't know what's what. And we'd be like, oh, you think that's cool? The fucking verdict! <laughs> and do they still kind of get that by having it be like, is he going to answer the phone or not? There are still, there are a lot of verdicts that aren't rendered. There's only the one that is. I think there are, like, four or five things that are still at issue in the movie that are there are not final verdicts. And when on. the f- when the phone is ringing, why, he just spins it around like a top, and we never know if it'll stop spinning or not. Mm-hmm. It, was it all looked like dream. it was wobbling to me. Okay, well, you watch your movie, I'll watch mine. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I want to get into this. I want to get into this movie that is that has no children, um, just has alcoholics. There's no CGI. There's just people drinking and it's the most on their movie I've seen for a lot of reasons. Yeah, the Mostly most our life like movie I've seen. <laughs> Because we're high-priced lawyers, yes? Yeah. All right, when we come back, the verdict. After going through all of the pre-production craziness that most movies go through, directors could have been Arthur Hiller and Sidney Pollack, stars could have been Roy Scheider, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford, and Frank Sinatra, the movie was finally released with the trio of director Sidney Lumet, star Paul Newman, and writer David Mamet. That movie is The Verdict. It's hard to imagine a more slam-dunk lineup for a movie like this, and it was grossing over $50 million at the box office, which, in today's money, that means that the movies are back. It would essentially just mean that movies are back if this movie made $50 million in the box office. And nominated for over four Oscars. The movie tells the story of Frank Galvin, played by Paul Newman, an alcoholic ambulance chaser who is probably close to the end. He's thrown a bone by his one and only friend, played by Jack Borden. It's an easy case. A Catholic hospital administered the wrong anesthetic to a pregnant woman, killing the baby and leaving her in a coma. And the hospital is ready to settle. Unfortunately, fortunately, this is also the cause of Frank's rebirth. And he decides to use the case as a way to redeem himself, his career, and his client, whose family has been torn apart. Taste buds, I ask you this. I think this is our first Paul Newman. I mean, it's got to be. You know, I... uh, what did you think of him before this movie? Like, what does what did his legacy mean to you? And how does this contribute to that? Let's just get into the Newman of it all. Sorry I started to talk because I thought your question was, I think Greg, this is our first Greg, Paul Newman? Greg, Greg. Uh, <laughs> no, all before I was like, this guy makes good Caesar dressing, so it's nice to see that Caesar dressing can also act. Because I've seen literally fucking nothing with Paul Newman except for the dressing bottles. And you've seen many movies about the dressing. Yeah. Well, I've watched the whole docuseries. The docudrama made from the docuseries. I've seen more of his movies. I've seen Cool Hand Luke, and I've seen um, um, the other one just flew out of my head that I have seen. That Butch Cassidy, in. The Sting? Butch Cassidy, and uh, yeah, both Butch Cassidy and The Sting. And so um, I had thought of him as like kind of Mr. Cool, Mr. Movies. Like if you look at this guy's like greatest hits, these are some of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, and he is playing... A, against that in this you know he's playing as like a, a washed up drunk and this is the best i've ever seen him this feels feel very like. purposefully right like he is playing against his entire history of movies it feels like his unforgiven in a way that i'm going to wrestle with it before i was always just that cool guy but here's what happens to that cool guy when he gets older it's yeah. absolutely it's absolutely is unforgiven i want to read you guys with uh ebert said about this movie because i, I do think that at this point paul newman is I think his stock has only gone up. I mean, he's bigger than the movies, Ryan. He's not only is he one of the most talented actors, but one of the most fucking handsome by far. Yeah. Uh, Come on. Newman always has been an interesting actor, but sometimes his re- resiliency, his youthful vitality have obscured his performance. He has a tendency to always look great, and that is not always what the role calls for. This time he gives us old, bone tired, hungover, trembling, and heroic Frank Galvin. And we buy it lock, stock, and shot glass. I do think that if you go through his movies, sometimes he, even he, even the director, can't tamp down the stardust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the blue eyes and that smile and that confidence. And getting and, the better, the best out of every situation. Yeah. And I can't help it, guy. Even the script said I was supposed to lose the scene. I can't do it. I'm, it's physically impossible for me. We all and improv this... and I won. And now the movie is different. <laughs> And I know there's no winners in improv except for Paul Newman. Um, and except I, for the audience, Ryan. Yeah, that's true. People fucking love Every improv. single time, dude. Uh, this, I think, just shows uh, how not only is he great at everything that acting has to do, but what an incredible... Like, this is when you're supposed to... 
choose your movie like this might be my last movie um i need to look as great as possible you mm-hmm. know and he is a fucking mess in this movie i do have to say though um i hope one day we do 1973 because i think that's the year the sting came out because i know that it's it's really fun to see him playing against type in this but instead in the sting he's playing someone who is just the coolest person ever and that's also fun what about in cool hand luke when people are sick of how fucking chill and awesome he is he also eats a lot of eggs in that i think he must have some sort of writer in his contract where he just gets to pound eggs is he just classic brad pitt with the no matter what he looks too cool and ruins the movie in that way he always gets to eat i think newman's buddy is typically compared to seinfeld that generation's brad pitt (laughs) wait you watched all of 1990s come seinfeld and went newman and seinfeld they're buddies (laughs) those guys are buddies (laughs) that is a horrible misreading of that show are they not friendly every time he walks in he says hello newman (laughs) (laughs) you goofy bitch i'm not good with tone okay yeah Uh, and you know he i'll tell you one thing he does a lot in this and it's maybe a maligned art but this movie has a lot of one half of a phone calls in it mm -hmm. in fact it's got a scene where they're stooling half phone calls and Man, he's really good at that, like well, um, conveying the exact emotion of what the other person on the other end mm-hmm. of the phone is feeling. The king of that is supposed to be Bob Newhart, and this is Paul Newman. So is that part of it? The news got it. <laughs> it's all Man, the newsies. You should get a point for that, Ryan. Uh, I, th- I, I think not only th- or this is part of that, but I started to write down how often he would repeat the previous line in a slightly different way. And I feel like if any other actor did that, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? And now that you said it's David Mamet, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. It's just so real of like, no, I didn't say exactly what I meant the first time. So many movies are like, no, streamline, boom, 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 let's be zippy. And his like stumbling was somehow more charming and yeah, it I mean, really worked for me. There's it's only interesting because so- that, that's juxtaposed against Ken Cannon's like very specific uh-huh. language, right? So it, it, it's one of the ways in which... He comes off as sloppier than Ken Cannon, but actually also way more human. And, and I mean, watch people's reactions to the two. Uh, anytime Ken Cannon speaks, everyone looks around the room like, this guy, he's so good. So oh, he should be God. on Deadwood. Oh, man, this guy's amazing. <laughs> Season and that, two. Anytime Newman speaks, you know, like he's talking to his clients. I guess it, it, his client is the sister of the victim and her husband. Right. And he'll be talking and they'll be sitting on the couch and they'll just look at each other like, is this guy not only is this guy going to lose the case? Is he okay? Is he going to make it through this meeting? That that first he, conversation he has with just the sister before the husband walks in, mm-hmm. I feel like she's she's aware that he's drunk and she's like, "Well, this is the kind of lawyer we're going to get. He's and maybe going to be drunk." He has this weird like, "This isn't my office," and the girl's gone, and like yes. he has this weird like lie upon lie upon lie. If that if her husband, the coma patient's sister's husband, if his last name is not Affleck. Then everybody in Boston looks exactly the same. That guy, I, oh, that's he, Uncle Fuck for sure. They all hold their mouths the same. Well, it's because they all have been used to being punched in the jaw so many times. Yeah, and that's the other thing. They're all like uh, five foot three, a hundred pounds, and are violent, and it works. <laughs> <laughs> also, they're like Irish, as in like we still have Irish brogues. Yeah, <laughs> like the judge is just straight up oh, like the judge just, is. Yeah, he steamboated right over from. Ta 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 ta. Your objection is noted, laddie. Busted. When (laughs) overturned. When uh, Frank Galvin objected, and the judge jumped up onto his desk and started dancing a jig. It's like (laughs) Jesus, judge, (laughs) calm down. Throwing cold coins and lucky charms. Don't Uh, you know I have tickets to the Celtics game at five p.m. We know. We can look at you, sir. This. (laughs) I think this. I don't know. Uh, portrayal of somebody who is weakened goes a lot farther because uh, when was the last time you've seen a movie this old with straight up, no doubt, anxiety attacks accurately performed? Yeah. You know, and is was that? Let, let me get to. I want to talk to you guys about th- this stuff. But was there any moment in the movie that Galvin or Newman rang false, like hit a false note, like where you were like, "Oh, you're acting. I can see that you're acting." I'm honest, dude. I was too lost. Like, I, this movie, it, it, in my opinion, is so well written and so well acted that at times I was like, "You're not, you're not being the critic right now." That's not even, yeah, and that's <laughs> not Newman stinks. anymore. Like, I like so, I I think that in a way for me, no, like there was just there was no sour notes. I even tried to like cross my arms a little bit and be like, "Well, 
look at it this way because I heard that like he got the he got the final thing in one take the his like final summation he did in one take and so I was like come on this isn't going to be as good as it could be I don't know like that it I he was totally immersed in it it felt like to well me. plus he was trying to uh, impress Bruce Willis <laughs> and did you guys Bruce? see who what you said Bruce Willis Bruce Willis yeah oh yeah did you guys see who was sitting be- next to Bruce Willis who was behind Paul Newman when he gave that speech was it no. Newman? from seinfeld no guys and i would like that to be the last time we mention uh the guy from jurassic park uh, i've it, made myself not do it several times uh tobin bell who is jigsaw from saw is sitting oh, right damn. next to bruce willis in paul newman's is, final speech this where saw got a start yeah this is the uh origin story of both saw and bruce willis <laughs> isn't saw kind of all about springing things on people <laughs> all of I, a sudden i guess that's true um one more thing about Galvin, Mike. Uh, we'll start with you. The movie brings up drinking and alcohol, but is it ultimately trying to say anything about that? I don't know, because he wins. I thought if this was a 90s movie, right, there'd be way more annoying music. He would learn lessons. He'd become a better person. Uh, and he would stop drinking halfway through, and that's why he wins. And instead, he never stops drinking. Uh, and I don't know if he learns anything. And so... It feels like the movie's saying, hey, man, some people drink because life is hard. That's, I mean, yeah, it feels like by not moralizing on it. Because there is a part halfway through the movie where he hasn't appeared drunk in a couple scenes. And so I just decided, oh, he's given up drinking. And then when he drinks, I'm like, oh, no. But it's like, well, he never said he was going to give it up. And the movie doesn't really seem to make the case that, like, that's what's at issue. Honestly, Mm -hmm. it seems like the movie's case is that what is at issue is that he had given up all hope. And that when you, like, he had, like, been exposed to the world, his own firm had basically betrayed him, and he had learned that everybody is bad. He had the young Goodman Brown moment, right? He saw everybody in the town was bad. And like young Goodman Brown, he couldn't go back to life. He couldn't function again. And then anything that helps him to function, the movie, it feels like, is saying, that's actually kind of okay. We need to self-medicate sometimes, folks. I mean, Just like how everybody at rehab smokes a carton of cigarettes a day. Let me tell you, it, it... to me, the indication that it, that the movie was making a case against alcohol, the doctors would have been drunk. And that would have been the big thing that came out. Right. But what does the alcohol use add up to in this other than you have to find some way to blunt yourself from the pain of life? It's the same thing as the pinball in a way, right? Like you have to find something to do to distract you from the agony of the corrupted world. That and, and I mean it helps if it's a metaphor of I am also just a little silver ball getting bounced all around this world. Yeah, and, and he says and, he says about the, the better wo- I get at pinball, the more I can control the chaos. He says about the woman, like he looks at her, and when he sees her humanity, he says, like there she is, just tied to a machine. And the very next time you see him in the bar, he's there, like playing pinball right up to the very last second before his meeting. I do think the alcohol is important, though. Other than like, we just got to get by. In that, I think the ending hits harder. We don't. We specifically don't end like a few good men does which is a different playwright taking his crack at a courtroom drama. Um, with how does, like, it, how does that end? Just uh, He's going to jail. All the lawyers are good. That's it. And we just, uh, it ends in they the They literally like, walk him out of the courtroom to go put him into prison. And then there's the classic like old school 1940s, 1950s, the end that pops up. Uh, but this, we have more time with Galvin after that. And I think that you can feel that his whole attempt at redemption doesn't work you can't just demand that this action that i'm going to take that's going to redeem me and then when it happens you're redeemed he's still an alcoholic you know he's still basically at the bottom of the barrel and And i mean that's why i think the movie ultimately should have stuck i think they should have stuck to their guns and not had the verdict actually appear in the movie because that occludes what the movie's trying to ask which is it's wrong that he does this right like he just picked these people and he made them be part of his like redemption story against their will. Yeah, they did not want to do this. <laughs> yeah. no, and that I, makes him just like the doctors. It makes him just like the big lawyers. It makes him just like everybody else who decides like that they're going to use other people's lives to help like yeah, prove and, something about themselves. And this is yeah, I think this is exactly why it had to be there because that would have it would have actually worked as a redemption and. You just you don't get to have it that easy, even though this, there was nothing easy about this court case. He has to be through it and then know that 
that's that's you're not just fixed by that. You're not just fixed by like moving to a new city. You know, right. like you have to do the work to yourself, not to other people. But I want to talk about all these institutions. I want to talk about this court case. So I'm going to continue the exact same conversation, but under the guise of a new segment. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's move on to, I would say, and maybe I didn't even know this until I watched this movie, but one of my favorite genres, which is let's get our court on, you know? Yeah, and dude. I do a lot of courting uh, with the ladies. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm an incredible on a basketball court, but I think that the courtroom drama is one of the best things I do is watching it. You're so good at watching it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you your, very much. Your hand is just, your chin is resting on it. You're focused in. But unfortunately, because we're a movie show, I do have to bring this other word into this question. Taste buds, I ask you this. What does Lumet bring to this fairly standard courtroom drama? One thing he does that I liked is I feel like he kind of opened up more of the of the procedures um you see like voir dire you see the the picking of the jurors Mm -hmm. and um like how much drudgery that is and how like every all the jurors are like totally stunting on this guy yeah (laughs) reading their newspapers popping off to him and like supporting one another they were dickheads and what i liked (laughs) is that it showed the drudgery without making it feel for the viewer a drudgery. So it feels like, and I don't want to keep shitting on modern stuff, except maybe I'm just grouchy now. Uh, a modern movie or a episode show is like, well, it's really boring. So I'm going to make this part of the show really boring for the viewers. So they so, know how yeah. fucking boring it is. The, I mean, no. this is called Jarhead Theory. You don't need to bore me to show the characters are bored. That's what it, acting and writing is for. I mean, I like the procedural, it's become such a bad word. You know, with like uh, with us and with TV, because procedural means that one, it typically means that you're one and done case case of the week for TV. But also, yeah, you're just going to go through the um, ins and outs of what the job is without adding any drama to it. And what I like is the better term is competency porn. And uh, the two things that this did remind me of is um, oh shit. Totally blanking on the movie with my cousin Vinny. That's no, what I was going to say. Not because of any different Catholic Catholic Church instead of Catholic Hospital. Spotlight. 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 It reminded me a lot of Spotlight and Better Call Saul, which wrapped up the week that we're recording this. Of uh, there's so many things that like there's so many details that we can show that people don't know about, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they're boring because it's still this character doing them and how they specifically do all of these sp- yeah. uh, stops. It it didn't feel like paint by numbers, and even if. We've seen some of these numbers before. Objection sustained. Overruled. Uh, overruled. Exemption. Uh, watch yourself, Noted. counselors. Uh, it did it in, like, you, all the characters were doing it in their way. It wasn't like so many courtroom movies or TV shows feel like, well, I've seen one before. I'll just write the notes I've seen before. And, and does not it, changing it at all. And doesn't it, like, change everything by subverting all of it? Because ultimately, he kind of legally loses the case, which is what they always say would have happened. I mean, the, their main evidence gets completely dismissed. That yeah. The witness gets completely dismissed. But he just looks at the jurors like a person, and he's like, we know what we saw here. Now, like, they can't make you forget this what is, happened. I, I, he, I always laugh so hard at that. We're like, hey, ignore that whole testimony and evidence. Yeah. Pretend it doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> but, like, is, does, is does that make this movie more realistic than other movies or way less realistic well we're going to talk about institutions in a second but like that's the only power that's like the only leveling mechanism at all is they actually bring in 12 yokels Mm -hmm. and they say you get to decide and you have as much power in that moment as the big institutions you have as much power as the fancy lawyers you have as much power as the berobed judges you much like judge dread are the law and almost every jury, if you've ever been on one or you've just heard people talk about it, like has that lawless feel to it of like, shit, dude, we could decide whatever we want. No. You know? All the water is soda now. And that gives them power finally over people and groups that they they would normally never have power over mm-hmm. as long as they don't have, as long as they don't disbelieve their own eyes. And that's what power will always say to the average person disbelieve your own eyes right disbelieve your own interests don't battle for yourself battle for everybody else i.e me the person sitting in the fancy robe who you know has like a lunch club and hangs out with all these guys and hobnobs with them to quote one of our great former presidents what you're saying is not what you're saying what you're reading is not what you're reading (laughs) isn't that from 1984 uh and 2000 
19, I believe. They said that in multiple years. That's crazy. Uh, it is weird that Sidney Lumet basically disincluded the jury from this movie and showed every other aspect, having made 12 Angry Men, where he did the exact opposite. He's like, didn't I say enough there? <laughs> Do I need to focus on them? Because Don't you think it's because he wants us to be the jury in this? Because we're the ones being appealed to? Because yeah. And I'm not going to fucking listen right. to Miles O'Shea. I'm not going to listen to Tiny Dude. Little Irish Man and forget what I had heard. When he stands up to get over like the top of his bench, he shouldn't do that. That's not <laughs> making you look bigger, dude. He somehow shrunk. shrunk. <laughs> and like he even when Let the jury stand atop of my pot of gold. When here, the jury's so like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, we find for the prosecution." He's like, "Are you sure?" Like like he even is still, yeah, that guy sucks. I'm sure they get him in institutions. I do want to appreciate that he looks like he came directly from the set of the crucible as a judge there <laughs> yes. with his hairstyle and eyebrows there to was, be the uh, judge here when we saw him berobed for the first time in j- trials like did he also put an old wig on no just his <laughs> hair is so goofy in itself that it looks like a judge's wig did you put on two tiny eyebrow <laughs> wigs before you came out here yeah to have your hair go that gray and your eyebrows to not follow suit i when don't know pa- dies those black i assume um, but we also get like uh, I've heard this movie called a thriller. No, come on. And in like the courtroom drama sense, how does the movie do at keeping you on the edge of your seat in the classic movie way? So we know it's a character study about Frank Galvin, right? Mm-hmm. But running around town trying to find this doctor that was going to seal his case for him, does the movie sort of work in that aspect as well? I just it I putting it on there on the record that I loved it, I feel like it's too sleepy to call it a thriller. Mm-hmm. I was never well, like, subverts oh, all that. is his investigator going to get shot? Like a thriller it always is like runaway jury is the thriller because there's like a, like shadier stuff and, and more backroom dealings, even though this had backroom dealings, but there's like thriller has the threat of violence where this, you didn't think an assassin was going to come out instead of a doctor to shoot them. I legit I would say think this movie, and I don't think this should ever be the case, but I think this is the case with this. I think that if you watch this movie, you watch A Few Good Men, a movie I love, and you like it less. You you will think that yeah. few, A Few Good Men is kind of stupid because it does everything that this movie does dumber. <laughs> well, because, okay, like, what I think this mostly does is subverts the expectations of the thriller. What's, like, the big reveal in this? They doctored the, the documents after the fact. Why? The guy was too tired to look at them. He had been working right. too much. He's too popular of a doctor, and he delivered too many babies. And the cover-up is, let's make it look like she said that she ate later than she really did so or earlier than she really did and so you're like set up to hear something salacious and instead it's just it's mundane yeah because that's the way the world is made broken and remade is not in the world of the magical but instead the world of the mundane and even the mistakes are mundane and the conspiracies are mundane but that's the truth and so i think that that's that's the way it's an anti-thriller the guy a guy gets disappeared they just have him go on vacation. Yeah, there's yeah. no murder. There's yeah. no. There's no like. There's no showing of a mysterious figure putting a silencer on a pistol and, and going up to the you, house. The because woman that's they can't how you really just si- got remarried. Uh, also, not like secretive. Yeah. she just moved on. And because that's how you really silence people. It's way too on the nose to go and just kill everybody that you need to silence. We'll there see. are much better ways to do it, and institutions but. like will always find a way to manifest those and to buy the path silence. of least resistance, yeah. Yeah, that way you don't have this trail of bodies where you have to kill the investigators and then kill okay. the people who come investigate for them. Trail of bodies is a pretty good name for a thriller, though. Should we start? Trail of bodies. Writing that? Should we start they writing this genre that we don't even on like? on the trail, <laughs> but they didn't know they were on a trail of bodies. I think every tagline should have <laughs> the title said multiple times in the <laughs> tagline. <laughs> <laughs> and then Trail of Bodies comes yes. in. Let the bodies hit the Brought front. to you by the producers of Trail of Bodies. You know what? I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna suspend this conversation a little bit because let's talk about courtroom drama and institutions all rolled into one. We're gonna take a break and when we come back, let's involve this big evil I word. Several people tell Frank he's like all the others, doctors, lawyers, institutions that are supposed to help folks. We have multiple times where people come up to him and say, like, Oh, you're. Su- we thought that you were fighting for us. You're not. You're fighting for you, and you're fighting for your reputation, and you're a coward, and you hate all this shit. What's the movie think about these systems supposedly looking out for our interests? Oh, I mean, it's one of the clearest things. Uh, but This is when like, the movie gets super obvious, right? 
Yeah, but also like in a way that's like I think prime for 2022 of yet oh, like yeah. fuck institutions. <laughs> it is all it is all built on a foundation of bullshit and lies. And I, I think Spotlight is a really apt comparison because that is also about take ta- and that's in the 2000s. Like we, it's something we learn and relearn and relearn is that any government or any body of power will fuck the little guy every chance it gets. And they talk about how the reputation. Everyone always says it's the reputation because if yeah. people lose faith in the reputation of their institution, they're going to riot. It'll create chaos. But in reality, they're cowards. If yes. if if anybody could just step up and say there was there this is a black mark on our institution we're gonna fix it this this happened and we're gonna fix it that would be best right but then but like what's the, what are they covering up here that he was tired yeah well that's that he the made a mistake of like, evil he the, the the problem is they they want to create a world where it, that is black and white you know where they if they made a mistake then it's a crime and it's negligent but that the truth is he was overworked and he made a critical mistake but then at the point at which you are like destroying people's lives and moving them to different states and everything else well, that's where the and, crime and comes. the that's thing that too- i believe is is that if you fix it right make sure that doctors aren't overworked anymore that would be the best thing and so this doesn't happen to anybody else this is i mean this is two institutional problems then right the original institution the original sin is uh the hospital let him get overworked that he didn't even have time to read the very important details uh, and somebody died from it and then the second is instead of then fixing it, they cover up, and it's the cover up that got them, which is always is. Yeah, I've, we've heard that a lot in 2022, <laughs> where this movie fits perfectly. One of the craziest scenes in this movie to me is the archdiocese. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like the Boston version of the Pope? Like that's the Pope Junior yeah. of this. Yeah, movie? that's like the the local bishop. Um, at the end, his lawyer, I think somebody, somebody that is like on the business side of the, the church. Bald one. And the, yeah, the bald one. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to be <laughs> harassed. But um, he, uh, the archdiocese is like, but is, it, is she telling the truth? Like, would yeah. we have lost? And the, the guy stops stirring his coffee and he's like, I've never even considered that. Right. Like, why would you even ask? Like, I think that well, he's taken aback that you would ask or even be concerned by that because the oh, only I, goal is to protect I, the church. And I mean, was... I read that a little bit differently. I guess this the movie does a couple t- different. There's a couple different times in the movie where something is not said. Where normally there would be a line where someone's like, "You bitch, you betrayed me," or where so like, and instead there's just uh, eye contact that conveys a message. Mm-hmm. And I guess in that particular scene, what I saw was him being like, "Yeah, well, no, I did believe her, but like that's almost neither here nor there." Right. So I I thought that he was like, "Oh, sure, I believed her," and he was just realizing that. The, discongru- the 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 dissonance between thinking that and That's, still being like right i think that neither here nor there is the important part though like that doesn't matter bro like we put our heads down and we just fight 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 no matter what because it's our we side saved versus the church. side and and right. what it the the bishop asking that shows like the breakdown that there are institutions within institutions right because this is the human the bishop is finally being like wait did we fuck up because he also until that moment was just like no we're a great hospital. There's no way we fucked up. So let's pay. I don't know. To be at, at that point, question us. to be a bishop at that point, you have to be like, oh, yeah, we basically, we make problems everywhere we go. And then we try to cover them up. Like, and the lie you have to be such a bad. realist, I think, to actually be in that position. You have to know, for the most part, what's actually going on. And what's going on is that you're, as a big institution that doesn't do a good job of protecting people, you're kind of grinding people down everywhere. This is one of, like, eight different things this guy has to deal with that's probably not that totally well, different than this. he's playing three-card Monty with how many pedophilic priests. Right? Um, I mean, because isn't that exactly what they're doing, right? They're shoving them, they're going from place to place, pushing them into new new parishes and stuff. There's this line in this Lauren Hill song, X Factor, that I'm not going to be able to quote exactly. But Just sing, it, sing a little bit. It's something like, well, I mean, I don't want to show Lauren Hill up. That's but, true. Friend uh, of the show. She's like, uh, you're not just ruining my life by being an abuser. You're also ruining yours mm-hmm. because yeah. of like how much you abuse and then have to lie about it. Like you don't, you can't do anything anymore. Like your life yeah. is over because all you're, you're never, doing is covering up your abuses. So you're like never sitting on the TV, just enjoying yeah. a nice Steve Reeves movie. You're just covering <laughs> up. Like at what point do you go out and help people or whatever it is you do as an institution? Yeah, like what reputation are you trying to protect? Because everything you're doing is to protect the reputation. What's doing? 
what is earning well, the reputation at the moment i think you're so right you're so then that's why that's an important moment at the end is they're so in the game they don't even pause and think about that anymore right yeah and, There's and, no time. And that's how i took that nebulous moment was but them being like oh what but it breaks down to so many different institutions mike as yes. you keep saying is like well now we have concannon's high-priced lawyer institution mm-hmm. and they don't care they have a client that's it that's the bottom right. line is they, that they have a client and so they're going to put their heads down move forward and make sure that they protect their client they use spies they they are dirtbags yeah think of everything they do they bought they clearly buy off the judge well yeah and him like and well so they either bought him off or he is also such an institutionalist that he's like the way this works is you take the settlement mm-hmm. fuck you because you didn't take the settlement this isn't the way we do things and so that's angry about that I didn't think that they bought off the judge because Jack Warden did not find a paycheck in his coat uh, like he did with (laughs) um, Laura. Laura. Uh, But he's just like, this is the way that you do things, and you're not doing them that way. Fucking fuck you, man. Then I want to watch you burn. One of the times he stands on the bench and yells is when he is now questioning the witness. It feels so not fucking okay that he's just like, I'm going to take over for both lawyers for a while. Was this yeah. was this the cartooniest moment of the movie? Is is this character the cartooniest character in yes. the movie? Or well, do I just not know enough lawyers. about the legal her, system? Her, 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 her. <laughs> I, I'm no expert, right? I'm, I, I couldn't even claim to be paralegal. but uh, Mike, he was drinking no duels while eating Lucky Charms. <laughs> yeah, that that's a little cartoonish. Uh, I've read a lot of uh, lawyerly books of late, and it just feels and they're pretty like thriller and big and pulpy. And I've never seen a judge take over questioning. This feels so out of left field and unrealistic. Well, I mean, he's an Irish Catholic judge in Boston, and the defendant is the Catholic Church, right? right. So I, I think oh, they're yeah, just like that's a good point. Regardless of whether or not he's actually been paid off, but then even then, like when they when uh, when Galvin first walks in. The judge and Ken Cannon are talking about like their the friends they each have at the, yeah. the lunch club. Oh, do you want to go golfing go this weekend? Yeah, so it's like I mean they're so close to one another, and yeah. there's nothing. I mean, Ken Cannon basically says there's nothing I wouldn't do to win these cases, and you see that that's very much true throughout the course of the entire movie. That he just he thinks that the higher morality is winning, and right. anything you do along the way to that is just you know what has to be done. Well, that's why I think courtroom dramas like sports movies. I have no experience in real life with either of those things, but they are entertaining because suddenly there are clear rules to follow or arcane rules, but they can explain them easily enough. The stakes are there. The stakes are there and there are beats, right? You know what the seventh inning stretch is. You know what, what was the word you said, Greg? Voir. Voir dire. Voir dire. Even if you haven't heard that term before. You're like, oh, yeah, jury picking. Okay. Yeah, they got to have a jury. <laughs> and and we know that uh, Frank calling Kincannon or whoever it was and saying, oh, fuck, do you remember that deal? Yeah. Oh, uh, man, can we, we get we, that we, again? Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. <laughs> we know how desperate that is. We And we, that's, you know, Greg, when you were talking about the other side of the phone, we yes. know everything oh my God. that the other side is Smarmy saying. fuck. Well, that's, this guy, he likes winning so much when he's crushing his own lower lawyers. It's yeah. g- funny to him and to oh, them that this guy no longer gets to go to St. Bart's. Yeah, he liked uh, he liked crushing his own witness in yeah. front of everybody. Like He liked cracking that guy open, and then at the end of that, he's like, oh, this was my goal. I did it. This is a good thing that I've done here. But a part of it is because he just gets on the scent, and he can't stop himself mm-hmm. he, he has to crack into him would it surprise you guys that in the star is born movie from the 50s where judy garland played lady gaga james mason concannon played bradley cooper no that makes sense no because i'm looking at a picture of him on imdb from when he was a young man yes and it's a handsome dude james he's a great mason. actor yeah and i uh, like his he he is the ultimate shark in that I, there's so many. I don't know. Even the but the archdiocese has that moment where he's like, "Was she telling the truth or whatever?" He seems like the ultimate shark, and that like, man, I just do what I do. I d- yeah. you know, like oh, I am the xenomorph from Alien. Care. Yeah, yeah. He would be Any- a serial killer if he was not a lawyer. Anyone who would even think <laughs> to send that woman to the bar that the guy goes to, start up a relationship with him, have her spy as a way to get back in the good graces of that law firm. And then pay her like under six hundred bucks for it. Yeah, and then the, Damn, that shitty ass paycheck. Yeah. yeah. All right, we have time for one more topic, and it has to be Charlotte Rampling. Let's talk about her performance and her role in the movie. Um, was this a shock? Like, oh my god, she's a spy, or was it like, okay, movie? It, it. I guess I was shocked, and then it made everything. It was one of those like memento moments where you're like, 
every scene replays in this track. Yeah. Otherwise, was, why would you fuck Frank Galvin? She was obviously because I mean, look at him; he's handsome. But like, she's a seducer. But the whole time, I was like, it, why it works for me is because she always seemed uncomfortable with the relationship. Yes. And the whole time, I was like, this is purely your choice. Why are you here then? And then I was like, oh, like it, it worked really well for me. It's also weird. The only other thing I've seen her in. Uh, is Broadchurch and she plays a lawyer there and a lawyer with like a lot of history and like some regrets. I'm like, it's just the same character then. You didn't see 45 Years? What is that? You didn't see Killing Eve? What? She's in Killing Eve? She's the boss. She's Sandra O's boss in Killing yeah, Eve. Yes, so that's right. Oh, yeah. So I have seen her in other stuff, but the thing I could remember is also a lawyer. So that's the connection I made. Thanks, Ryan. I was I was absolutely surprised because the the movie has a way. Lume in this has a way of being like, I'm showing you everything, so don't worry about it. You're getting everything you need to know to make mm-hmm. sense of this. And in a way, not that it's not a betrayal or anything, but you, that that means you think you have access to more than you really do. But I totally agree with Mike that when you run back the tape, there's so many times where she seems so uncomfortable, or like when he tells her like something really bad happened today. I think I basically lost. And her reaction is just start yelling at him until he has that panic attack. And you, that yeah. makes so much more sense when you realize right. she must feel so fucking guilty in that yes. moment because she is starting to really like, like him. him. And you can also see in almost every scene, she is trying to discourage him from working like, Hey, sleep. Yeah. Or like, tell me more about Drink this. More. <laughs> and I think it also works because part of the, what the movie's talking about in a, in a subtle way is a gender issue where, Men don't see women, and so they don't. They didn't do as good a job silencing the women in this because mm-hmm. they didn't buy them Correct. off. They did like they just sent them to other places, and that the by not paying attention to the affairs of women, by not paying attention to what the women are up to, what they know, how they communicate amongst themselves, the men here have delivered themselves a complete blind spot. Both our heroes and our villains have completely left themselves open because they haven't integrated femininity femininity into like mm-hmm. their understanding of the world at all yeah i mean like it's possible maybe likely that concannon or the catholic hospital knows that uh towler or whatever the doctor's name is fudge that number but we'll do we'll go to the mats we'll go to the mattresses to protect you bud that nurse that did it gone just fucking out of here you know and uh they, they moved her they, they she stopped being a nurse and she had to go live somewhere else just so that the the men could continue having mm-hmm. their right. lives exactly the, the way. Yeah, they were. so like you know the truth, but boys will be boys. Like, and we have to keep that going, you know. And on the hero side, like it makes sense that Frank would just shack up and instantly be like, "This person's in my life and wants to make me coffee." No things about the case. Yeah. But Jack Warden's character feels pretty sly, like pretty like paranoid and on the number, except when it comes to her. So that that leans into exactly think- what you're saying, Greg. I do think there is a scene though where he's sizing her up where yes. she says she like she wants too much information mm-hmm. and that's when he makes her and he doesn't have the proof until later but I think he kind of knows But she says he tells her the story of Frank and yeah. at the end of it at this bar he go, where he goes to a fridge with a tra- with a tray that just has bread on it and he just unloads lunch meat onto his plate I don't know what this bar is, but I would like to go to it, which is free, unlimited lunch meat. It's but like your friend's basement that other people treat like a bar, it feels. <laughs> That's my fucking dream. He, <laughs> he tells Laura the story of Frank, and then at the end of it, it's like, was that a good story, Laura? Was that was that what you wanted to hear? Mm. You know, because her reaction is not at all the reaction of, "Hey, this is this is a bad thing that happened to my boyfriend." She try she looks like excited, yeah. to right. hear this story. And that's, again, that's another instance in which the movie does a really good job letting the characters, letting the actors express what's going on through facial expressions Mm -hmm. and not have to attach a line to it. All right. That is the verdict. Uh, The verdict was nominated for five Oscars. It won zero. It will win three awards tonight when we come back. It is time for awards. I think the verdict deserves three we just don't know who and what specifically are going to get them but we're going to start with recommendation greg you loved you hated or you haven't seen the verdict still this is your opportunity to tell somebody what to watch read or listen to i think you should watch better call saul if you haven't yet if it makes any sense to even recommend that people do this at this point this is something they haven't done i feel like we were one of the podcasts first in on the like better call saul is better than breaking bad and Mm. now people just say it they just toss it out there like that's something that people have been saying forever no we made that up we were were mocked when we first said it we were it was an edgy thing to say drinks at us on the street yeah i remember people were spitting on me um 
That's how I learned I have a thing about that. But um, it, it just wrapped up, and uh, it kind of it, there, there's a lot of resonances between the two. Can the courtroom be a place for interpersonal drama and change and growth as well? And it was just uh, it was such an amazing show. So if you haven't yet, go check it out. Honestly, watching this, I went back and thought having Better Call Saul be my favorite show of the last decade. Like, yeah, I'm into it. He doesn't drink. He rarely drinks, and he never gets drunk. And he will often say no to drinks. And you think that's just such a part of being a sleazy-ass piece of shit lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, He's addicted but, to the grift. That's his. But it is vital to Frank Galvin, and it is not at all to Jimmy McGill. Yeah. Alcohol. It's like gambling. Like, none of us are gambling guys, right? Like it has, You would it think we were. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but there's some people that's just like, you know, it just makes them feel alive. The only advice I have is Miami with Don Johnson. I love that fucking show. Mike, <laughs> what do you recommend? Uh, another kind of dirtbaggy lawyer who has a problem with drinking is Mickey Haller. And I know there's the movie, but the Lincoln Lawyer novels uh, would not exist. You would just so reference that you've been reading Pulpy Law novels. Uh, the, these, the, Mickey Haller would not exist without Frank Galvin, uh, which I did not know before this. Uh, it is pulpier. It is more traditionally thrillery. He winds up fighting a murderer in every book in every one of his <laughs> six books <laughs> but uh it's it's so much fun i I'm, i celebrate all of michael Connolly because i'm old now but uh yeah i think the lincoln lawyer novels are, are where it's at i don't know man if you're eight books into a uh, 12 book series or whatever it is and every time there's a murderer that he has to fight even though he's just a lawyer that's more comfort comforting to me you know yeah. like i sort of am into that give oh, me what i, I need it. It's the central problem of every like detective story, right? Like, how come these guys, how come these two people keep running into all these? Just because right. they're stories, and we it's, want stories. It's that's like, why. don't think about the fact that because of Marvel's t- sliding time scale, Scott Summers has gone through everything he's gone through in ten years and would kill himself if he's seen his <laughs> wife die this many times. Yeah, just dude. don't think about it. I thought it's the same thing with Spider-Man, right? Like yes. his life has been like too full. Every day is eight days. I'm so glad that on this episode about Paul Newman and uh, Sidney Lumet's The Verdict, we have brought up Scott Summers no more or no less than three times. Um, I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys if this one is small enough, a sleeper enough to recommend. But watching this movie, I thought like when Mike was saying Lincoln Lawyer, what's his name? Mickey Holler. Mickey Holler could not exist without Frank Galvin. What I was thinking was Michael Clayton from the movie Michael Clayton. And this was such a small movie at the time, but in my estimation, I don't know about the world's estimation, this is a fucking fantastic, nearly perfect movie. I think that's one of your, like, uh, not that other people say it's a bad movie, but I think that's like a Ryan take. It's a soapbox of mine. Um, I saw a tweet, and I don't know if this is before or after I picked this for my recommendation tonight, that said, uh, I went to see Michael Clayton tonight. And people, uh, I thought that I would be the only one in the theater, but instead it was full of people uh, saying every line and throwing baguettes at the screen <laughs> like it was a Rocky Horror Picture show. <laughs> I just want to live in that world. Uh, Michael Clayton is phenomenal. The the cracked open, broken lawyer of why am I doing this? I'm already at rock bottom. What am I trying to do? Take people down to the bottom with me. That is Michael Clayton. I think that it's also, it turns out late in career, George uh, Clooney, just like this is late in career Paul Newman. We didn't know that George Clooney's career was essentially tequila and that's it at that point, but it, Don't, it sort of is late career and espresso and lemoncello. The guy has many fields. But I highly, highly, highly recommend Michael Clayton. They're all connected uh, because that might be the last adult movie that was allowed to hit oh, theaters. Yeah. Also, guys, remember those? No CGI Michael Clayton, except for they add, they CGI'd one extra baguette into uh, <laughs> Tom Wilkinson's grocery bag. Uh, my cringiest moment of a fairly cringy movie. Yeah, there's cringy, but like there's also the movie wants you to cringe a lot of things. <clears throat> Two moments stuck out. I'll only reveal one right now because I don't want to take anybody else's. Uh, and this is like, if you're a longtime listener, you know we're going to talk about this. The fact that he hit Laura, and then the movie never deals with it feels. And that's, at that moment, I was like, "Oh, he didn't arc. He's still a piece of shit." Like he really winds up too. He fucking hits like I her. mean, 
it is an open hand, but like he twists way back at the hips, and like it's like a full body. After the punch, she looks like the weekend on an album cover of <laughs> on the weekend. Any album. The weekend album cover. I thought it was weird that he yelled, Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm glad we all have jokes about this female abuse. That's awesome. But it it well, it's cringy, so how we deal with our cringes is jokes, Ryan. That is true. Uh, because at this point you're like, Well, he's our hero, so we'll feel good about him forever from here on out, and then he just rails look it's it's cringy as fuck but i'm just i'm just still unsure that he's ever supposed to be our hero i think he ends being a piece of shit and this is just part of it because he doesn't know how to handle emotions and doesn't learn to and And that's sort of what makes this movie crazy you think you're used to him being a piece of shit in very specific ways and this is like such a new low we haven't seen from him yet uh that that and that's what's hard because like i think the movie wants us to be cringed but i that's where i'm at I, and I think it's a real mammoth move too. I, I feel like you're gonna you're gonna get like men and women having a physical fight. Like this is just a guy hitting a woman here, but there's something like I feel like from Mammoth's point of view, he's going for like that. There's like an equality oddly uh-huh. to that, you know. I'm that, solving like, problems, not starting them. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to waste too much of my breath defending it. The one I'm gonna go with Mammoth's is, wife, um, by the way, in this movie. Did you guys see her? Who do you want now? Mammoth's wife in this movie. Oh, really? I didn't mm. see her. She is uh, the lead witness that the judge demands everyone forget. The oh, yeah. the nurse that went to the kindergarten. That is, she was married to David Mamet at the time. Sorry, Greg, go ahead. Caitlin Costello-Price, the one who played it. Lindsay Krauss or whatever. Um, uh, so I'm going to go with, okay, everything about the doctor that they bring in as an expert witness is pretty cringy. Uh, Dr. Thompson, oh, including yeah. like... Um, Paul Newman or you know Galvin not being able to like look him in the eye for a while, but he come he overcomes that, and you feel like the character like accepts it. And then when that's all like said and done, and the movie seems to have like sort of processed the fact that this is a black doctor in in Boston, right? Which mm-hmm. Boston being like you know the south of the north. Um, and then um, Jack Warden's Mickey Morrissey mentions about the doctor, and he calls him the witch doctor, and it's just such a casual. Oh, racism wow. yeah. from I, d- I didn't even notice that yeah fr- like it's and it was something about the casual throwaway and then of course like jack warden is like very close to the ethical center of this movie and i know it's supposed to be yeah i'm flawed i'm racist mm-hmm. all the white guys in this movie are racist but it, it was just there was this extra layer of like they've been hanging out with this guy you know like they like the the way racism will be like when you're with him you're treating him one way mm-hmm. and then to so casually be dismissive of him in another moment and just, I mean, there's the flip side too where Cannon learns that he is black and like he's like to his you know subservient lawyers or whatever he's like don't treat him any better or any worse than anybody else and everybody smiles like yeah even though he's black that's we're gonna a good get strategy yeah. we know he's one of those though <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it is so uh, a huge problem in our justice system. Probably the only problem uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that, that there are these doctors for hire. Right? They're like fake experts that people like. That is a gross thing. But to have the one black character be that as the representative suddenly, it's it's not. It doesn't feel like a look at how twisted the justice system is. Is like, can you believe this black doctor would do that? But I loved him though. I loved his performance. I loved how every time they asked his age. He's like, I'm going to say 74 confidently, knowing what you're fucking thinking at when I say that I'm 74. He you're... doesn't say years young, but his voice <laughs> yeah, kind of implies <laughs> years young. All right, Greg, I'm going to give that one to you because I didn't even get the witch doctor part. There's another thing that Jack Warden said of like, oh, well, I mean, it could be worse. It could be a Jewish doctor up there. Yeah, one time they're going to have a, a, no, there's not a Jew up there. It's like, okay, buddy. <laughs> Did you, like, not get your vitamins today? Well, What's I'm, up? I'm just going to pay the check, and I'm going to waltz on <laughs> out of this diner. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> I love you. Uh, is this our first Lumet movie? No, it is not. Sydney uh, yeah. Lumet has won Movie of the Year. Yeah, dude. Is that true? That is true. Yeah. Uh, so we should definitely know what oh, is director's signature day. moment for Sydney Lumet. Greg, you're up. Okay. Um... I'll tell you the for me the the moment is they haven't really shown they never really on a close shot show the condition of the woman who's at the center of all of this mm. and in a way she gets completely erased from it because of that um, except for one moment where uh, 
uh, Galvin is going and he's taking pictures of her. And he finally looks at her because he has to look at her to take the picture. And the audience doesn't see the way she looks to him in that moment. We see the photos, the Polaroids, as they come clear. The power of the celluloid. First, yeah, and that's the first time you really... The, the, the only, that's the only time the audience sees her framed in the center of the picture. And she looks so small, and she looks herself like a baby, the way she's curled into a, a ball, and the way she's hooked up to this machine. And she looks so weak, and she looks so innocent. And I just thought it was such a, a good choice to never show her, but in that one moment, and because that is the moment where he finally sees her, and that really changes the action of the that creates the action of the entire movie. That's really the inciting incident. Is that mm-hmm. is his reaction to her in that picture? And they don't hold on Paul Newman as long as you would think. They hold on the Polaroids. Yeah, like for a really long time as they come clear and then they, it has that thing of the Polaroid where it gets clearer and clearer and clearer even when you think it's done. And that whole time you're just finally looking at her and you have been not looking at her and nobody's been looking at her and nobody's been thinking about her even though everything is swirling well, around her. Well, she's a football, her. right? To bring it yeah. back to how court is like sports. It's it's just the thing. It's the MacGuffin for all yeah, of it's, them. Yeah, it's the Habuzawats that everybody is chasing. But to to like put this moment on actual film or whatever Polaroid yeah. is and to have it come into focus like film does, but as slow as possible. Mike, what do you got? Director's signature moment. It's so weird to be like, well, Greg won that one. <laughs> well, <I'm> saying, uh, <laughs> really? That's still weird for you? <laughs> Your best friend for the season? Fuck all. <laughs> uh, with, I think with this uh, Dog Day Afternoon, 12 Angry Men, The Wiz, he is so good at taking <laughs> situations we're used to seeing and just slightly tilting them to the left and showing us the real people in them. So we're familiar enough with the paint-by-numbers version that it, it rattles us and hits us more when, whether it's a heist or a courtroom or a different side of the courtroom. Yellow or Brick Road. Yellow Brick Road, that it doesn't go the way we're used to. Wait, is that Brick Road yellow because of Wiz? Yeah, that's why he's called that. They're all pissing that whole movie. Also, uh, how delightful when I realized that he also did the Wiz. <laughs> this guy's career is crazy. How delightful was I when I said that? Um, so I'm going to give that one to Greg. Uh, yeah. But I also have to point out um, the shooting of the room, you know, famously. like the, yes. the story of 12 Angry Men is how he would shoot less and less of the room. So it fe- felt like the, it was creeping in on them. Mm-hmm. And where Frank is in the room... And where the ceiling is in the room. You know, he will do whatever it takes to make uh, Frank feel like that he's this giant in this tiny room and it's closing in on him. Or he'll put the camera in such a place where Frank feels like this tiny, tiny person. Like, very specifically, he shot that final speech with Frank as small as possible. But when he's in the office, it's down low and that ceiling's coming in. These are Lumet classic things that are, I think, less obvious in Dog Day than they are in Verdict and... 12 Angry Men, but are still definitely there in Dog Day Afternoon, too. How, how does that show up in The Wiz? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to watch that this weekend, Mike, and I will let you know. Please let me know. And by The Wiz, because I know where you're from, do you mean the fucking shitty cheese I put on sandwiches? That's what I thought yeah, we were he, talking about. He did about. commercials all about Cheese Wiz. <laughs> no wit or without? Wit Wiz? So it's Wit Wiz or without Wiz? Yeah. Well, and those in the note just say Wit or without. Yeah. Gentlemen, I am throwing a boner. Uh, what is the phrase? Hmm. Throwing a boner. Throwing, I'm throwing a boner at you. Uh, my pound for pound performance is Paul Newman as Frank Galvin, and I have taken that off the table. Now, you may have prepared for some Frank Galvin speeches, and we should get into that, but uh, Greg, I'm going to go to you first. Who is your pound, per, pound for pound non-Frank Galvin performance? For me, it's got to be James Mason. James um, Mason. As as Ed Kincannon, um, just such a, a measured performance. Uh, you see, he's like so reserved so much of the time, but he a couple of times gets like this kind of wild-eyed um, fervor. When Delight. Cases. Yeah, and you see um, that real um, pugilistic Irish spirit, let's say. And you know what, bro? Um, like the, the, the fucking people at the table who are getting vacations revoked from them, who smile at them, I get it. I get why they're smiling. Like he is admirable in his absolute yeah. disgustingness. I mean, he's like he's so he's the smartest guy in the room, and he intentionally packs the room with as smart as many smart people as he can find. Um, he's powerful, and the truth is, as 
he's old he's older than Paul Newman is in this it seems Ew. like and yet he has way more energy you know yeah. way more vim and vigor and um there's just a, a mastery to James Mason's performance here uh you can see him making you can see the character being still when the character wants to move so there's a part where the judge is like absolutely excoriating galvin and you can tell can Cannon can hardly stand still but is completely still and watching him do that in the background of a shot was just really really effective for me because you could see this is a man whose stillness is comprised of two different like dramatic movements at the same time. Like he's always doing more than one thing and you feel that through the performance. And not, I mean like not to keep bringing up this name, but he knows that he gets to be Donald Trump in his room of lawyers. But when he gets to the the room with Miles O'Shea, he's now Matt Gates. You know, now he's like, mm. I'm going to let the judge be the Trump. And he knows what all of those personalities, those personas are. All right, Mike, pound for pound performance. That isn't Frank Galvin. I'm so glad you brought up Miles Jose because for this uh, chaotic trickster of the Fae to make us believe he's a human <laughs> and not a Lucky Charms gargling. No, uh, Charlotte Rampling. Uh, yeah. When that moment of when she reveal, like the reveal happens and it makes all of her weirdness make sense and like all of it is subtle because she never snidely whiplashes. Like throughout the movie, you're like, okay, she's a sad, broken person, attracted to a sad, broken person. Or rewatching it and like, oh, she's a spy who hates that she's a spy and is falling for him. It's all played so subtly. Uh, and she, it's this this uncomfortable sticks in your craw performance in, in such a unique way. And the idea that she like wants to come back from being a mother. Really. Yeah. She like wants to come back from a failed attempt at a different version of 80s motherhood. Mm-hmm. And now, and the way she's getting like the path from there to where she wants to go is not quite as lawyerly as I think what she thought it would yeah. be. And for for me, for her, it's all in the listening. It's the active listening. Like, when she's listening to Jack Warden's story or when she's listening to Galvin in the bar, she, like, the camera cuts back to her more than you would you you would think you would when somebody isn't talking. Right. And it's so we can watch her listen. And we don't know what we're looking for at that time. But it is there. The evidence is there of this very complicated character. And, and she, she is crushing the, 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 the lack of dialogue. In a De- David Mamet script, where you want the most, mm-hmm. she gets the least and does the most with it. Knows exactly what to do with it. So I'm going to give Mike that point, And that brings us to 43 to 41 points. Now, you guys said that you wanted to know the winner, but not the point total. I'm going to give you the point total, but not the winner. It's 43 uh. to 41 this is a classic verdict. <laughs> <laughs> he reversed us. But that is the movie. We didn't get a chance to talk about Frank Galvin for once, and finally in one segment in the pound for pound performance. Uh, guys, are we? Uh, do we? Is this is this the person to beat with the best actor of the year? This is gonna smoke the Moody's, dude. Yeah. This is gonna, yeah, because this is gonna be the one where because it can't win, even though it does, it probably deserves to be. Oh, a it's gonna movie. get, it's, yeah, back. It's just gonna it's clean due. up the Moody's because I know, like, uh, I have a hard time believing Judge Hoyle won't take down Biggest Shithead. That's like, <laughs> yeah. that's gonna become like that's gonna he's gonna be our go to example for why it, it's, it's not a gonna villain. be the Miles O'Shea Award. Yeah. That's, and you'll know we're mad at each other because we're not saying you asshole on the show. It's you're being a classic O'Shea right now. <laughs> it's got two great on-screen duos. It could even even Ed Kincannon could win Biggest Shithead or at least get a consideration. At least a consideration. At least could I just get one consideration? But no, this is a we you know for a bonus movie. I really I wish this were in the bracket. I feel like we could have had a longer show about it. It gives you a ton to think about and then just kind of like leaves you on your own to, to make your own conclusions about a lot of things. And the Very la- engrossing. The last like real, real show we did was Tootsie. And I think this is just as good, if not better, example of the 70s clashing with the 80s as far as yeah. filmmaking goes. You know? All right, guys. Uh, we have... We're close to the end. We're almost to the finale. We're going to find out what is the single greatest movie of 1982. I think that we're just going to talk about Victor Victoria next. And then that's it. And then if you're uh, not a Patreon subscriber, make sure that you are because not only do you get me, Greg, and Mike coming up with our TV channels all season long, but you get a watching of Piranha 2 colon The Spawning. That's right. You get to do that with us. So that is awesome. You get to do that with us. 
Uh, but guys, we are nearing the end. Are you getting nervous? Are you getting excited? I, I don't want it to be over, I have to say. I Some years are hard to... Some years are hard to say goodbye to, and this is a tough one. I think that um, it was hard leaving 75, but then 82 had so many nice 70 vibes that I feel like, <laughs> you know, kind of, we kind of stayed in the groove. Especially knowing that Mike is taking over his host and he's doing 1916. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gonna have to watch that train one, which gets me spooked. Stop. No, dude. I don't want to get scared right now. Please don't <laughs> talk. Don't. Save that for that episode. (laughs) All right. Well, that is it for the verdict. That is it for me. I want to thank Greg and Mike. And until we talk to you again next week, keep watching those movies.